Hello, everyone. Welcome to Chosen by Committee, the podcast where myself, Josh Heron, Christopher Munden, and John Rosenberg read every podcast, every play that has won a Pulitzer since 1918, so you don't have to, or perhaps so that you do. Um, as I said, uh, my name is Josh. I am a third grade teacher uh, and uh, sometimes writer. I am joined by Christopher Munden, um, world-class hater. <laughs> uh, I love her. And love her. And, uh, and John Rosenberg, uh, theater maker. And Buckler. Um, uh, the reason I call Christopher um, a hater is because uh, it's been a big week for the Pulitzers. Um, the 2020 Pulitzers were just announced and um, much to my delight, um, a off-Broadway musical by um, a man named Michael Jordan, but not the basketball player. Um, Michael called, Jackson. Michael Jackson, oh, Michael Jackson. But also not the best. But not Michael Jackson. Um, won uh, the Pulitzer for uh, a musical that I think is sort of delightful called The Strange Loop, um, but opinion amongst our committee is um, strictly divided. It looks really terrible from the trailer, but uh, as we discussed, perhaps that is my uh, distaste for musicals. Which we're all gonna uh, be able to see in a few short weeks. The first musical with a Pulitzer of the I Sing comes up uh, probably in a month or so. Um, um, this was really exciting, uh, I think, for many theater fans. Um, a Strange Loop Why? first Pulitzer to be awarded to an African-American um, for a musical. Um, and it's the first off-Broadway musical to be awarded. Not only that, but on the short list was another off-Broadway musical uh, called Soft Power and a, um, a play called Heroes of the Fourth Turning. Um, it's worth noting that all three of those plays were off-Broadway. Um, I don't know if that's happened before. Um, and that's not, that's not remarkable. There are a lot of off-Broadway plays. <laughs> I don't... Chris, I think we're gonna have to figure out how to somehow over audio get you like a tiny grumpy hat. <laughs> I don't know. I think it. I think it matters. It, it's important. Sure, it's nice I, to have. I'm just noting, been, but I would, I would prefer that um, we know that the Pulitzer is not a signal of uh, what is good at the time necessarily that one thing we're seeing here one reason we're doing this but it is indicative of plays of the time and what uh some committee of people are choosing and i think it speaks really poorly of theater of our time that this one a play that's insularly about musical theater it doesn't necessarily is a, a meta play about a writer writing about writing is from what I can tell weak lyrically and 
in dialogue. I don't know. Um, yep. Uh, we'll come record, to it in uh, 2022 or 23, I guess. Yeah. Uh, for the record, uh, Chris has not listened to the play, has <laughs> not the play and has definitely not seen the play. Uh, but based on a two-minute YouTube uh, trailer, he is calling it uh, the demise of uh, the American theatrical canon. So, uh, yeah. Uh, you judge who's right. Yep, 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 yep. Um, especially after last week's, uh, you know, glorious uh, work, Hellbent for Heaven. Uh, how dare they award it to a strange group. Um, in Philadelphia specific news, uh, the Wilma um, is a pretty, uh, pretty big theater in our city and they announced that they are gonna be doing two plays that have recently either won or been shortlisted for the Pulitzer. The play I mentioned um, that was shortlisted this year uh, Heroes of the Fourth Turning, and um, the winner, I think, of the 2018 or 19 Pulitzer interview. Um, so that is exciting for us as Philadelphians. Um, Let's hope it happens. Yep, knocking on wood. Um, all right. Um, now we're going to uh, jump back in time to um, a simpler time, uh, 1925. Um, uh, uh, they knew what they wanted by Sidney Howard. Um, John, do you want to take a stab at the, uh, at the summary? Sure. Uh, the play takes place in, uh, Napa California. Valley. Right. Napa Valley, California. And it tells the story of, uh, a man named Tony who uh, in the 1920s uh, has a vineyard and is uh, a bootlegger. And is as the play starts, he's very nervous for the arrival of his new bride uh, who has never met him. And uh, the play really is like a love triangle between Amy, the young woman who comes, and Joe, a itinerant worker who used to be a member of the IWW, who is Tony's right-hand man. Of course, uh, when the woman f arrives, uh, due to like, uh, Tony basically is worried that she's not gonna like him. So she's, so Tony sends a picture of Joe, who is a young, handsome man to Amy. Amy shows up and is very happy to meet uh, Joe, not realizing she's actually meant to be married to Tony. Tony <laughs> goes to pick her up gets into a car accident, his legs are broken. So the, uh, the play is really a love triangle uh, between the three, yet is, it is not uh, sordid nor heavy, uh, but is a fascinating glimpse of California in uh, the early 20s. Um, and in the 1950s, again, much to Chris's chagrin, uh, Frank Lesser <laughs> turned it into um, a super operatic musical called uh, The Most Happy Fella. Um, have you seen that? I have not, I have not. And I mentioned it is a, it is a, a friend of mine, someone you all knows, uh, like favorite musical, but this is someone who's deeply invested in opera. Um, I listened to it for the first time this week and thought it, it sounded fun. There's um, some revisions to the plot, um, but uh, it, it's interesting. Uh, this is not a, a necessarily a play I think would make a great musical. Um, it's a fairly simple plot 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also, based on the description, they cut out, well, we'll talk. So I, as John mentioned, and I'll start with what surprised me about this play. Um, I, Joe is um, a member of the inter, Industrial Workers, no, International. International. What's the international world? Workers. International Worldwide? Workers of the World. Of the no, world. International Workers of the World. Uh, he's, a that redundant? he's a wobbly. He's a He is wobbly. Um, and I fucking love that. Um, the politics was interesting running through. I, I wasn't everything was, I mean, so I think actually like besides the plot, I think everything around this play is interesting. Um, the immigration, the Italian immigrant. Yeah. Tony, and, then, and a lot of Italian, uh, a lot of Italian, not even dialect, straight up like they're speaking Italian for sections of it. Yeah, and you get some, um, it's refreshing to see some anti-Italian racism. Um, uh, I mean, it was, weirdly, it was tied into the Red Scare, wasn't it? When a lot of Italians, communists? Oh, interesting. Am I making that up? I think oh, so. Right. I mean, Tony the, isn't. But this is before yeah. the Red Scare. This is. No, because no, like, this is Sacco, no, Sacco and Vicente was like, uh, like 1918, 1919, like the yeah. NRD. Um, the Russian no. Revolution was 1917. And I think in like right after World War One, yeah, that's when the first like anti-communist push was. Um. So yeah, you have all of that. It's not it's not the central part of the plot, but it's sort of it there. adds interesting flavor to it, doesn't but, it? And not just that though. I mean, because the print the priest is Irish. There's a priest who's Irish. The doctor, I believe, is French. Um, and there's the like sort of like. I think this was ages the worst, but um, the ah, the Chinese uh, sort of servant. <laughs> Name is Aji. Yeah, um, cook. He's a cook. Um, but I do think, even though you know Aji is written in sort of a like pretty offensive dialect, um, as is Tony to some degree, um, I do think that like Aji's otherness is really interesting given the context that like he's sort of everyone is sort of an immigrant. I think that like that sort of makes them on at least equal footing in some degree. You know, I think it's interesting that, you know, you have an Irish priest um, and a priest has a certain amount of power. You have this, the French doctor, um, whereas like Aji is a cook, right? Or um, Tony is a farmer, but sort of lucks into wealth because of prohibition. Um, mm -hmm. And they, prohibition is an interesting backdrop to it too, because the wine growing and and there's all this talked about, um, you know, Joe as a, a worker, as an activist, basically a uh, lawbreaker. And yet Tony is doing that same thing and everyone is drinking. Um, what surprised you, John? Um, I mean, I, I feel like uh, personally, I mean, this is the best play that I've read yet. Like of all the plays, um, I thought it was. Um, I think when it started, I assumed it was going to be something completely different than what it ended up being. It really surprised me. Um, I felt like 
the uh, the the picture that it painted was very vivid to me um, of the place and the time and also of human nature. Part of it might just be because I'm from California, but um, yeah, I thought it was done very well. Um, it talked about a lot of things without it being uh, about that. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like the play literally was just about human nature and just uh, just the blindness of humans. And I thought it was, I, I was just blown away by how good it was and also how simple. Um, it reminded me um, of James Cain, the writer, um, who later wrote uh, Postman Always Rings Trice, mm, yeah. uh, Double Indemnity. To me, it was it's such a simple story, but it, you know, I was expecting Joe and Amy to like, you know what I mean? For it to become something more than just like daily life, even though it, it was a dramatic story. Um, it also touched upon like, um, John Steinbeck for me, just in terms of Yeah, like, you definitely saw Steinbeck, yeah. Yeah, but I think the portrait, and I think it's such an interesting portrait that starts to be painted of the of the laborer who has activism. And I what I found very interesting about Joe was he latches onto it, but he's not really about that. You know, he he might wear the no, clothes it's of the drifter. Well, I don't even I don't even think of it like that, but I just think of it as he's not an activist who is committed to the cause. He he believes in those things, but his own desires and his daily wants come to him come before larger ideals. And I feel like that's true in most of our lives. Um, I thought that was done really well. Um, yeah, I thought Amy. Yeah, so not to ramble, but. I just thought the characters were great. I thought the, everything about it, I really, really enjoyed. Yeah, I was thinking about how, um, and I, I liked Icebound more than YouTube, but I think I came away from Icebound, actually, and Anna Christie and Hellbound for Heaven, um, being like, God, like none of these characters are likable. Actually, even uh, Beyond the Horizon, which I really liked, we read a lot of plays with characters that are just sort of like drips. And, what was amazing about this play, I thought, is every single character is sympathetic. Um, mm -hmm. Like, and like, mm. how do you write a play where there's like, essentially like, I mean, Tony, I think in any other hands, he's this like rich old man who's trying to like, essentially buy a wife. You know, in 2020, that feels like uh, a sort of like impalatable, and even in like 1925, I think would have been like a, sort of a gross sell, but he's written with such warmth and is like, and exudes like such a like, both a love of life and a like compassion for other people that it sort of like erases the icky context and makes it like, yeah, Tony, you do deserve happiness. And like, um, it's great that you It seems pathetic in a way too, though. Yeah. Certainly, but let, let me let me say I think, and I think it's interesting what you said, Josh, about like the other plays where the characters don't seem so likable. To me, this is the first play where all the characters are not put under a microscope, and they're not judged by the writer in a sense. To me, mm. like, mm. to me, so much of what drives this play. I mean, the title—I forgot what the title was—but I just think of like how much. I appreciated how fucking smart the author realizes all of his characters were. 
that like to me tony used being pathetic as a tactic whether he was aware of it or not <laughs> you know what i mean like you know, one of my favorite things to do when I was young was, you know, to say, you know, to say to a, a woman, I don't want you to be mad at me, you know, <laughs> you know, which makes yourself the victim and all that. And I love how much like Tony basically does that with the picture. And then I really? assume he got, I, I assume he crashed the car on purpose. Like, really? I mean, well, no, no, that's my own silly reading. But I think Man, the important thing is to be. Uh, to get the I, sympathy and to get the nurse. I have no idea, but to me, this place so much is about people, what they present and what they actually want and how they go about getting it. Um, you know, like, yeah, I thought every character got exactly what they wanted at the end. Yeah, um, I didn't, I mean, in some ways, I, like, it's interesting because I think on paper, I would describe this play as cynical, but I don't find it cynical. Like no, I, I, I don't find it I cynical. Found the ending, I found no, it, it wasn't cynical. I mean, the third act didn't ring as true for me in a way as the previous two. Um, and I think. Well, yeah, but to me, it's like. Talk about that? Like, and in the third well, so in the first act. Um, Right, she thinks she's marrying Joe and they have this conversation where, you know, she assumes Joe is the one she's going to marry and she seems very pleased with her situation and she, uh, she liked Joe's photo, she likes him when she's met him and then she finds out who's that old man <laughs> who just with his broken legs like, oh, that's who you're marrying, that's, that's Tony. And she's like, fuck, I'm out of here. But then she's like, well, this is a pretty nice setup. I think I could love him. And then there's they have the wedding. There's also something she does, but there's something she does with the photo. Do you know what I mean? Where, like, there's a photo she's of Joe. Like, she's like, she kind of wants to keep she the looked, photo or something. Right, right. but, like, because she's going to get what she wants, which is, like, yeah, I don't know, but go ahead. And then, right, that wedding night, jo Tony gives her the earrings, but like, and, and that conversation, I like, like that conversation between her and Joe when they're both like, you know, we're never going to sleep with each other. <laughs> and, and then that scene ends in a kiss and ends in her running off. But then in the third act, you find that's the only time they've hooked up. Oh, I mean, the second act up. ended. I'm like, they totally fucked. They 1,000% right. fucked. Yeah. But like, that's the only night they fucked. They, she's been taking care of him, and he's been, like, reading wobbly stuff, and he's going, and, oh, she's pregnant. Spoiler. But then to, and Tony's going to marry. It just felt like the thing I liked about Beyond the Horizon was that like in, that foreboding, that like sense of hypocrisy and tragedy that underlies humanity in this. Yeah, but but to me, I feel like the difference maybe between that dude and this dude is he's like 
everyone is a hypocrite everyone is full of shit and like no one is better than anyone else and like what i like is it it's like done so cleanly that you could come up i i was thinking like did tony basically want joe to fuck her and you know what i mean where he's like please you can't you can't i you have to leave you have to leave you know what i mean like well it's funny you think that he wants him to leave because uh because the photo a womanizer, but it's right. just because he's like, it's because of the photo, yeah. And then right. afterwards, Tony's like, Yeah, you can stay now. Yeah, to me, I, I just have like, I had such a respect for what I interpreted as the author's uh, um, appreciation for people's uh, emotional intelligence and how they go about getting what they want. And I thought it was done fantastically. Yeah. What didn't you like about it? I mean, you know, like, I guess the, the Aji shit, like, I appreciated that he wasn't, like, crafty or, like, I was like, don't have it be that, like, the Chinese dude sees them kiss. You know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't plotty like that. I appreciated that it wasn't he was in funny. There. It was pleasantly unplotty. Yeah, was, it felt was, like and that second days scene at the farm with the house. with the uh, with the wedding. It was it was a lived in scene that had mm -hmm. five or six different movements to it. And there's the thing that happened outside, and it created depth. Yeah, I don't know, man. This shit. Yeah, I this shit fucking this shit was fantastic. I think if if there's anything I can also for it and this might just be like it's not what it is um but it has all the trappings of something that should be a little funnier than it was um and i'm not sure if mm. maybe you have like uh like different actors if some if there's jokes that land oh, i'd be afraid that like they would play the italian ethnic and the chinese yeah. ethnic as like jokes yeah um so it, it feels I don't think you read it. I don't. I don't read it like that nowadays. But I wonder if that was. Well, I mean, I do. I, I, I thought it was very funny, but in a sordid sense. That like, I forget if like this author said it, but there's something so funny, almost about people that take themselves so fucking serious. You know, that's something I've always been interested in. Is like people that take themselves so serious, they're fucking hilarious. And I think a lot of Joe is so funny because he's so full of shit. Yeah. You know? I like Amy saying, you think you're, you think you're hot, don't you? Yeah. I mean, Amy's fucking hilarious when she's like, the, I got the chink. Uh, like she, all of them like, you know, to me, she's like on the verge of a big bounty. You mm -hmm. know, the, the stakes are so high for all of them in such a very small manner that I found it very funny. You know but, that? No, no, go ahead. What you're saying makes me remind me of, but it's not this, but um, have you ever seen Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, the movie? Of course. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of my, like, a favorite. Um, <laughs> you're a trident, yeah. sir. Right. What? You're a trident, sir. Oh my God, yeah. Uh, terrible, and Christopher, you'll appreciate this, a terrible musical. 
a horrendous <laughs> musical, um, but a wonderful movie. That's surprising. Um, a really, really wonderful movie. Uh, I think about that, right? Like that, like like when the uh, Jack character. But I, I wanted. To, sorry, that was a tangent. Um, I think like one of the like maybe the best drawn female characters. I mean, it's hard. It's like the best drawn characters. Period. So like, I mean, she's a good. The characters aren't, in a way, deeply drawn. I I I disagree. I think they're. Yeah, I I think they're sketched so cleanly that the sketch cleanly it it allows us to fill in everything that we know innately about as people. With you know, because otherwise it becomes heavy, and the the author doesn't trust your intelligence. I felt like this dude trusted people that they'd fucking get it you know yeah. um yeah it seems I, like a great like actor script director script to me right yeah like, no this, this not... thing this thing is so fucking good man but at like, the same time like i think in terms of like dream productions like i don't like i feel like do this like to use your words john but like do it clean like just do it cleanly right like mm-hmm. I, I don't mean, take yourself seriously don't like don't bring out any more drama in it than yeah, just yeah. Like, you think just this should be, be yeah. hire some really smart actors um like i would mm-hmm. say like get some get a, like a, a really good dialect coach so it doesn't feel funny and like make it like i would like you know i i would i think if there's anything i would do like like I would, you know, do a decent amount of dramaturgy, and like I think really think about this as an immigrant play um, about like California. I, like I think pump some money into a fucking beautiful set. Uh, he draws the set so beautifully in his in his introductions to the acts. Yeah, uh, I really like those introductions. It's funny to me because I actually feel that because. The, the there's you know because there's such movement to the script you could actually do this thing with no fucking set and i feel like the acting and the uh the pacing creates the depth on stage like i wouldn't need to act personally i wouldn't need to it'd be neat to see like a vivid you know picture of napa of napa valley but man like yeah this is to me the difference between this and like on the, uh, on the horizon is, or beyond the horizon is like, yeah, this to me strikes me as the type of play that actors just have to trust the words mm-hmm. and just serve it. You know, the other one, it's like, you got to pimp out your emotions and like, you know, the, the depths, the feeling and all that shit. But this, yeah, this shit was, I wish I read this fucking thing 25 years ago, you know? That's funny, um, and that was the exact opposite reaction you had about Beyond the Horizon. Yeah, yeah. Because shit like that to me would lead people down the wrong road. This lead would, yeah, just stylistically, this is one of the best plays I've ever read. It's just fucking fantastic. Excellent. So it is John's number one. Um, yes. I came in thinking it was my number two. I'm going to hold it there because, uh, John, you're always so persuasive. Um, but I'm telling you, like, you know, I don't, I don't know if you've read James Kane, but 
but like there I love both those movies, but I haven't his known. his writing it's very similar and I felt like, dude, did John Steinbeck and also James Kane fucking read this? Like, there's just pieces of it that I sh- that I see later in just characters or like characterizations of people um, that is just done so well, man. It'd be interesting like, to to know if Steinbeck knew this guy and he was probably like, fuck this guy. But to me, it's I mean, like, he probably was his. his politics well but i don't know no this is like the 1920s no john steinbeck's politics he was he was he was he was an avowed communist you know he was a labor no i I know like um i would think steinbeck's communists were more uh politics were more pro-worker than this guy perhaps right um i mean mean, he, he draws joe well but he doesn't necessarily I mean, that's what I like. He draws him well. He, he like, but it's not like a political screed about uh, left-wing politics by any means. No, yeah. And it, it's wonderful that it's just about, you know, it's it's a soldier in that army or whatever, whether he, you know, it's something that he believes in every day or not. I as act. What I love about this play is like the difference between what people say and what they do. And like this, mm-hmm. this is such a great example of that. And like the title just ties it fucking together when I was done reading it. Yeah, it's a great title too. Yeah, and it just points us in the direction of the author just being like, no, no, no. they all knew what they wanted. <laughs> and they, yeah, it is fucking gangbusters, man. Yeah, for me, this is the only play except for the O'Neills that feels like that that timeless theater, it, feel, it feels just like, I mean, this is a, this is a tight play. Just funny, this shit makes O'Neill seem fucking pretentious to me, man. Like, I mean, I can see that, but like, I mean, Shakespeare is pretentious, but like reading that, reading some of those O'Neill and especially for me, Beyond the Horizon, mm-hmm. I got that feeling of like, of just that, that foreboding, that tragedy that um, that I love in a book and I love in a in a film in a play and and what a, what about um, a musical? I love it in the musical. <laughs> um, John, you should listen to Most Happy Fella and see what you uh, see what you get from it. Yeah, no, I, I definitely will. Um, that's exciting to know that. You know, someone took it and then made something else out of it. That's really cool. This was a film, too. Uh, James Cagney, maybe? Was it silent or... Uh... No, it was a speaky... Speaky. Um, oh, I forget. I came across it when I was looking for this script. But, um, sorry, real quick. It might just be like a uh, stylistic thing, but, you know... The Postman Always Rings Twice by James Kane that was turning to like, uh, you know, a Jack Nicholson movie. It's basically about like a Greek guy that owns a diner with like a pretty wife and there's like uh, a drifter that comes in. And like to me, the pieces are, it's different, but it's the same. Um, yeah, I saw, yeah, I really enjoyed this. I, yeah, I had a great time. Thank you. It's uh, Carol Lombard, Charles Lawton, and William Gargan. Directed uh, by Garson Kanan. 
Karn. It's from 1940. Mm. It's funny because I almost feel like Tony, you know, you said the thing about if you had an actor do it to make certain it wasn't like too cartoony. Yeah. I almost feel like Tony relies on that in a way. Yeah. Like, be a it's fine line. It's, well, it's I almost a think... tactic on his part to be like almost, I don't know, like helpless in a way. Yeah. It may be slightly, you know, what you were saying about the set and, and the play, like, because he does rely on us to fill in a lot, then any Tony, any Joe may just be like, that's just that. That's not quite what I was thinking. That's not what I pictured. That set isn't the Napa Valley that I pictured. That um, that it would be tough to. Bro, we to. should do a site-specific one at French Laundry. But I, like, I think there is sort of a like there is an, a West Coast optimism in. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, in yeah. yeah like you two are both from California, it should be said, and so. Fuck yeah, bro. Yeah, man. Um, and seem like it. <laughs> we need to get a true East Coaster. We don't. We don't have one. No. We we well, met in the middle. Christopher is a super hater. He's like he's from the East Coast, man. Okay. Uh, yeah. Or he's from the West Coast of Europe. So yes. Of Brittany. Um. <laughs> um all right. Next week we read uh, the snubbed Philadelphia genius George Kelly. Oh dear. Um, we read uh, his play Craig's Wife. Um, that I'm pretty excited about. Um, yeah, if anything, I mean, these plays we're seeing glimpses of parts of the country in a way that I don't know if you do as much in in modern plays where you can say like. Oh, this is this is Napa Valley. This is like rural Connecticut. This is like urban Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. It's those are the finely drawn parts of the country, and 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 the way that that the immigrant experience is, is drawn is. I'm enjoying reading these plays as as like telling me about the times. And telling me about the places. All right, everyone. Um, have a good week, and uh, we'll uh, catch you all soon. Hee-haw. <laughs>